a month ago, I interviewed my friend, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, a professor of medicine here at Stanford, who holds both an MD and a doctorate in economics. That interview went viral. More than a million people have viewed it on the internet. Clips appeared on news shows of every kind. And uh, Jay tells me that even his mother down in Los Angeles called to say she had seen it. In that interview, you may recall, <clears throat> in that interview, Dr. Bhattacharya said that he would be testing on COVID-19 here in Santa Clara County. And uh, back with us now to talk about the results, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. Jay, thanks for making the time. And welcome everybody to this special Plague Time edition of Uncommon Knowledge with Peter Robinson. Thanks, Peter. Nice to be here. Jay, the results. I'm quoting from your study, which is available today through MedArchive. Have I got that right? All right. It's available through MedArchive, and I'm quoting. Quote, the population-weighted prevalence of antibodies among those you tested here in Santa Clara County was 2.81%. This implies that the infection is much more widespread than indicated by the number of confirmed cases, close quote. And I read the study carefully for the bit that a layman had the best chance of understanding. You've got to explain this to us, Jay. What, briefly the results and then tell us Tell us the how, tell us how you conducted the study. Sure. Well, why don't we start with that first, just so sure. idea of what we did. Uh, we uh, we drew a sample of people from Santa Clara County, uh, basically using a Facebook targeted ad strategy. So, if you got a Facebook ad from us, we were basically inviting you to come do a a, a, a quick finger prick blood test to see if you have antibodies present. Um, we, uh, we looked at uh, basically about 3,200 people uh, in this drive-through testing uh, facilities that we set up on the fly. Uh, We're recording this on Friday. This is earlier this week or late last week? Oh, this about, is about two weeks ago, I think. Two weeks ago. All right. Two weeks ago. Uh, and uh, so, was, yeah, so they took the, the, the finger prick and then, then uh, we just looked to see if the, if the finger prick test showed evidence of antibodies to COVID-19. Now, why is that important? Because those antibodies imply very strongly that you had COVID-19 previously, some, some sort of infection with SARS-CoV-2 virus, which is the technical way to put it. Um, so uh, the, the now 2.8, actually the, the numbers run, uh, depending on your assumptions that we've made, but somewhere between 2.8 and 4%, which doesn't sound like a lot. Uh, I mean that you know that means ninety eight somewhere between ninety six and ninety eight percent of people haven't got. So virus. sorry, I have to ask layman's questions here. That sample of three hundred of three thousand and some odd people, you designed the Facebook ads to make that sample as random or as representative of the entire county as possible. Is that you're trying to get a result that implies something for the larger population? But it's the yeah. larger population of what the county? The county, right? All right. Uh, now, although uh, th that strategy worked very well to some extent. Uh, it, we also had to make some adjustments because a lot of the richer parts of the county, they responded to the ads at a higher rate than the poorer parts of the county. Um, but we, we know how many people live in each, each of these rich and poor parts of town. So anyone who showed up from a poor part, part of the, the county, we counted essentially more than people who showed up from poorer counties. Right. So that when we did the final estimate, it represents the entire county, rich and poor alike, at the right proportions, as opposed to overcounting the rich. Um, 
So then we, so basically that with that number, with that, with that, uh, with that procedure, we, we got, we figured out about somewhere between 2.8 and 4, 4% of Santa Clara County has had uh, evidence of COVID infection. Okay. So what does that mean? Uh, so first, first thing, uh, at, at, right around the time when we were doing the study, there had been about a thousand cases of COVID found of COVID infection, active COVID, uh, active SARS-CoV-2 infection found within the county. Right. So there's about 2 million people in the county. If, if 4% have it, have evidence of infection, that means that there's about 85 times more people who've had it per person that actually identified having it. That's the critical finding. Yeah. Or fi- and if it's the, on the low end, it'd be 2.8, it'd be 50 times. So for every single person, that we that that the healthcare system in Santa Clara County is identified as having the virus actively in them. There are 50 people out there who had it and that never showed up with a test, a positive test. It's the COVID infection is substantially more common in the population than 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 we'd realized prior to the study. All right, and can I just? I want to make sure that I I frame the test correctly. It's my understanding. And I take my instruction in these matters from you. Don't you have a pre-med son, Peter? <laughs> <laughs> He's very much pre-med. So, Jay, prior, th- you are using what is, so far in our experience with COVID, a new kind of test. Is that correct? The, you explained this in our the last time we spoke a month ago, that the, the test that was being used to determine whether people had COVID at that moment was one kind of test. Another kind of test was being developed, technically, as I recall, more difficult to develop. Uh, and that test would test not only for whether you have the, vi- the COVID infection now, but whether you have had it in the past and cleared it from your system. And that is what is now available. And your test, as far as I'm aware, represents the first rigorous, serious, important results from this new kind of test, correct? I mean, it's that you characterize the test right. So the 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 test that pe- people have been using sort of early on in this epidemic is a test that checks to see if the virus is present. It's called a PCR test, RT PCR test. Uh, those of who, who follow that kind of thing, um, the what we're looking for is antibodies. So it's an antibody test, and of course, you produce antibodies a few days after you get infected those antibodies last, they, those actually, there's an active debate over to the extent to which those antibodies actually protect you from a second COVID uh, infection or how long. But in any case, those, the fact that those antibodies are present are evidence that you were infected, even if the virus is gone. And that's Got what it. we're looking for, right? So both. All right. So now, again, more on the results. There's good news, bad news here to the layman's mind. The bad news is, wait a minute. Even by your high estimate, only 4% of my fellow citizens of Santa Clara County have been infected. We still have 96% of us to go. That, that sounds as though we're at the, still at the very beginning. I've had it. I'm sick of this shutdown. And your results suggest that, in fact, the trouble is just beginning. The good news is, the good news is, so, so tell me, the good news, bad news. 
Is the bad news not as bad as I think, as it feels to me? I mean, okay, I'll start with the good news, right? So the good right. news is it's not as deadly as we might have thought. So if 50%, 50, 50 people had it for every person that, that we've identified having it, well, previously we were counting the number of deaths. We divide by the number of people we think have it. And we say, okay, gosh, uh, 1%, 2%, somewhere between you know, 1% and 2% of people who have it die. But if there's 50 people who, who have had it and cleared it. In the and that your test now picks up. Yeah. Then you, you get a much lower fraction uh, death rate. Now, it's, there's some more nuance to that calculation that's not, not worth going too much into. Uh, the bottom line is that once you do that nuance, it's probably about as deadly as the flu or a little bit worse per case. Okay. So, well, instead of having a death rate of, like the World Health Organization said, three in a th- three in a hundred. So you get COVID and three out of a hundred people die. Instead, where our estimates suggest about somewhere between one and two in a thousand die from okay. getting infected with COVID. So that's the good news. And, and what about the bad news? It feels fills me with a certain trepidation because it suggests we're just getting started. If yeah. you'd said thirty percent have been infected, I'd, I'd have felt more relieved. But am I understanding that in the wrong way? Uh, no, I mean it's it's it, it is in some sense it's bad news, right? So uh, the traditional strategy to control new epidemics involves uh, a strategy called contact tracing, right? So okay, they find that Peter has the has the virus. Sorry, Peter. Volunteer. Uh, they quarantine you. They they then they interrogate you and ask, okay, who else have you been in touch with? Oh, you you've been in touch with Jay. Well, that means Jay now needs to get tested and possibly quarantined also or isolated. Um, and then, and then that, then to just, you keep tracking outside until you've, you've characterized the full set of people that Peter has been in touch with and the set of people he's been, that, that his friends have been in touch with and so on and so forth until you've sort of collared everybody that potentially could have it and, and tested them and move outward. And every time you find a new case, you do the same thing over and over again until, until you've identified everyone who has it. So if this many people have it, that as we found, it is almost impossible to do that kind of contact tracing. Because you end up with the whole population. Yeah. Well, or, or, I mean, that's not, hopefully not the whole population, but, but, the, the, uh, but you, it's certainly a very, very difficult challenge, even in the best of cases. But if, if, there, if you have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people that need to get contact traced, then you just can't, you don't, there's no way to do it. It's just not okay. a feasible strategy. So, so back, if I may, to what the new information contained in your results about the coronavirus, this new coronavirus. Again, I'm summarizing things as best this little layman's mind can grasp them. But basically, we've been told there have been that there are three ways in which the coronavirus differs from the ordinary flu. And the first is the long latency period. You can go a long time without becoming aware that, that you have it. And the second which is related to the first, is the high infection rate. Uh, what was it that I saw figures that each person who came down with COVID-19 infected three others? Well, of course, that's exponential. You'll end up in real trouble very quickly. Well, Do your results affect either of those two? Uh, well, so this, that second number you said, that the three, three people infected, has to do with the policies that you follow. So if you have a, a shelter-in-place uh, order, you're, you're not, each person won't be infecting three. I mean, that's that's part of the reasoning behind the shelter-in-place orders. Um, 
Yeah. So but the yeah. latency period, could, what you've discovered is that the latency period is often infinite. People, lots of people get this thing and don't even know they've had it. That, that latency period has to do with, uh, has to do with the, the biological properties of the thing, but it, is, it is certainly has implications for what we found. A lot of the people that have it uh, probably never knew that they had it, have it and cleared it. And they could have infected other people very easily. It is very infectious, as you say. Even when you know, even when you're not even, even when you're totally asymptomatic. Yeah, I mean, it's, not, it's I think it's less likely that you'll spread it if you're asymptomatic, but it's possible. Um, it's, so it just makes it very difficult. So, okay, one more corollary to that piece of bad news that I gave you earlier. Um, I mean, <laughs> economists like to deliver bad news, right? Um, we, uh, the, the disease eradication is probably not possible. Like making COVID go away altogether from the face of the earth is probably not possible. All right. I, I can live with that because I think I've already adjusted my thinking to that. Here's the third way, the third fundamental way that COVID differs from the flu. And I'm just going to quote Dr. Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci. And this is, he's speaking early last month, early in March. Quote, I'm quoting him. The flu has a mortality rate of 0.1%, one-tenth of 1%. This, meaning COVID-19, this has a mortality rate of 10 times that, close quote. And your results say? It's about the same as the flu on that order. It could okay. be a little less, it could be a little more. So I guess uh, now the estimates, I guess there's some nuance to them. And that latency period actually matters. So, uh, I mean, we're, we're presenting a conservative estimate. I think roughly it's on, online with the flu. Like I said, it could be a little bit more. One in a thousand, two in a thousand. Not one in a hundred, two in a hundred. All right. You're conducting another couple of tests very briefly. You've got one that you're, is underway or soon to be started in LA County and another with ML, MLB, the Major League Baseball Organization. Just briefly tell us about that. Sure, yeah. So actually that the, L, the LA County study is, is in some way similar to, that, to the Santa Clara study, we just, but it's in a bigger metropolitan area that represents about 10 million people. Um, that Data collection happened uh, last week. Oh, so, okay. That's all done. Uh, we're going to release the paper. Well, we sent it to a journal, and hopefully I can start talking about it very, very soon. Um, and then and then uh, the, the Major League Baseball study is with 27 different teams all around all around the country. Uh, now, it's, it's the employees of Major League Baseball, not just, not the athletes. In fact, mostly, it's mostly employees, so... Uh, concessionaires, uh, front office and back office staff. But that gets you a closer to a a, 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 a sample well, that's I mean, closer to the way ordinary, right? Representative. I mean, they're 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 unique individuals working for a unique organization. Um, but they are they are a picture into twenty seven different community you know places very very quickly with an organization that uh, that has fantastic medical personnel and fantastic. Uh, people to help organize a study that nor normally to get into all those places all at once would have taken years uh, because of it's major league baseball. Now we're going to have a picture in those communities within, you know, within a few weeks, we organize the study. It's, it's actually. And when will those results begin to become available? Well, we just finished the data collection. So we just all those. Oh, you've done that as well. Yeah. So we're going to be busier than I thought, Jay. I, I've been very busy this past month and some. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to write the paper this weekend. We'll see how far I get. All right. We'll speed up this conversation so you can get back to work. So, Jay, the implications of your study 
I'll come in a moment to the implications for what we ought to do now. But of course, the first question is, what does the study say about what we have done? If I understand you correctly, and I hope I've misunderstood, but what's in my mind right now is that we have just shut down the economy and thrown over the last month, it's in the Wall Street Journal this morning, 22 million people in the last month have filed for unemployment insurance. And those, are, those numbers are bigger than the nation has ever seen before. You're telling me that we shut down the American economy for the flu. No, because the flu doesn't have a, we don't have a vaccine for this thing. Many more people okay. have died total for it. So it's, it's not for nothing. I mean, we also didn't know the number like we talked about last time. And so people were reacting uh, to a, a scenario where it, you know, it just looked catastrophic, you know, 2 million Americans dead. That would have been catastrophic. I mean, so I don't, I don't really want to spend time too much on recriminations, Peter. No recriminations because people were behaving reasonably. They were within the, what, what has been done was within the realm of reasonable action. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, you know, we could go back and, and, and second guess, but I just, it's not productive. Um, I think uh, what is productive is to think about what the right thing to do is now that we're starting to have a good picture, Correct. better picture of how extensive the epidemic actually is and where we actually are. Um, I mean, I think, um, so one of the major themes has been, and it, completely reasonably, like how, when is this virus most deadly? Well, it's most deadly when you are living in a place with an overwhelmed uh, hospital system or healthcare system or nursing home or whatever it is. You get a huge amount of viral load floating around. People are, over, or, you know, pe the, the people taking care of the patients themselves are getting sick. You know, Milan, Wuhan, New York, we've seen dramatic, you know, evidence that this virus can become incredibly deadly when it overwhelms healthcare system. So that's the, that's the basis for the, the famous let's flatten the curve kind of idea. Right. Um, well, uh, I mean, I think that's completely reasonable. We, we basically should work very hard to avoid that, right? Because that's when, that's when the virus kills people at, at higher rates. Um, so how can we do that now? Well, now that we have an idea of how extensive the virus is and how deadly it is, let's rework those models with this improved understanding um, and then uh, see where in the country, where anywhere near, are, are we, if, we, if we lift up the cap, would we get near the the, the capacity of the healthcare system, if you will. And in places where that it's safe, it seems safe, then let's start, let's start to lift the caps. Um, in places where it's not safe, again, with, again, with the, with the new data, we're gonna be able to start to be able to make those act, much more accurate projections about what would happen if we lift the cap. In places where it's not safe, well, then we, we, we keep the cap on. The other thing is gonna be very, very important is to protect the vulnerable. Right there, are, if you're if you're older or you have some other health conditions, uh, I mean, we know this virus is deadly for you. So, working very hard to to isolate those folks, uh, and you've seen it's actually in that that three phase phase plan. I think the the the, the, but the president plan. announced yesterday. Right. I mean, I think have you had a chance to look at that briefly? There's not a lot of. I mean, I, I haven't had a ton of time to look at that. I have to, I have to confess. All right, but it looks reasonable. I mean, it needs to get fleshed out. I mean, I think the main thing I would add to it is let's do these kinds of studies that I'm doing. Let's do them everywhere. Right. Um, right. We actually get a picture in every community in the country and actually, frankly, the world of where, of where we are in the epidemic. So we, and then we can start to make reasoned decisions about where it's safe to lift the cap. And Jay, are you, 
So you've already conducted three tests. The results of one of those tests are up today. The results of the other two will become will be up in another. Well, if you get it, if I can let you get off the computer and get back to work, you'll get that done sometime next week, perhaps ten days. You'll have two more results. What other kinds of tests are taking place in the country? Yeah, Is the country engaged in the kind of testing regime that you believe ought to be taking place right now? Yeah, I mean, I think people all over the country, actually all over the world, are starting to do these these, these kinds of studies. And um, I mean, I saw someone in Germany. There was one in Denmark. There's one in. Uh, in uh, Finland, I think. I mean, there's just they're they're coming out all around the world because this is exactly the kind of information you need to make the right kind of decisions. Um, and in the U.S., uh, I know there are groups all over the country that are, that are gearing up to do these studies everywhere. I, I'm going to try my hardest to get the to, to to start to help to make those, but it won't just be it won't be me. It'll be it'll be lots and lots of people doing this uh, doing these kind of studies. Okay, so. If, if I may ask, roughly what does a study like your Santa Clara County study cost? Uh, well, we did that kind of on a shoestring. I mean, if, if we if we had a professional organization do it, maybe $200,000. $200,000. So the Federal Reserve has made $2.3 trillion in emergency lending available. Congress and the president, the pre- Congress passed and the president signed a $2.2 trillion stimulus package. We've shut the economy down for six weeks. That's got to be at least two or three trillion off the GDP. Should, should, should it be little groups running around scrapping to get their hands on 200 grand at a time, be doing this testing? What? six weeks ago, why didn't Fauci say, Mr. President, I need $100 million to the CDC to start serological testing the moment it becomes available across the country? It just feels to me as though the feds, you're serious. The feds are serious about the wrong things. Well, I mean, I think think part of the issue is that, as we talked about last month, um, the tests themselves are relatively new. And I've learned a lot about the characteristics of these tests and the errors they have in the course of doing this research. It's stuff that people didn't know. I mean, I didn't know a month ago. Uh, so uh, I think the worry about the error rates of these tests have slowed down some of the spread of these kinds of studies. Obviously, it hasn't mm-hmm. slowed everybody down, but uh, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe I'm foolish to have gone, gone, gone ahead, but I think it was the right thing to do because uh, I, th- I believe this is critically important information, even if it's so, you know, even if uh, even though I know the tests are going to get better as better research gets done on them by immunologists all over the country, um, so I mean, I, in a sense, like we're, we're I'm rushed ahead because I think this this number it will help make policy an early version of this number, even if it's a little more error prone than a late version of this number with better tests is more is is incredibly important is my is, is my view, and uh, I mean I think we'll see. I mean I, I hope that people take this number and start to, you know, put into their models, uh, you know, sort of a, a, better, a better and more accurate picture of how extensive this, this uh, disease or this epidemic actually is. And I think they will. So testing, you're rolling out more tests. That's weeks. More tests are springing up here, there, and everywhere. That's weeks and months. A year from now, two years from now, as we adjust to some sort of regime of permanent vigilance. You and I discussed this last time, and you said between SARS, there have just been too many outbreaks over the last decade or decade and a half. This is a new normal. You recall saying that. So is it 
too much to ask to imagine at least that CDC or somebody becomes charged with a regime of regular testing. What's in my mind, correct the image I have in my mind, is something like polling during a political campaign where you can, we understand the statistical analysis involved. You can use small samples to represent big samples. You know how people are infected in a certain city. You have a snapshot of the entire nation. You know state by state, county by county. We get very good at the testing. Is that is that what we need? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that would be a really, really uh, a big step forward so that when something like this happens again, and it will, uh, we are... Much more, we can much more rapidly deploy this kind of uh, this kind of like testing apparatus across the country. Um, I mean, it's it's uh, polling is a good good example, a good good uh, good analogy with it. I mean, the other other one is unemployment numbers, right? The unemployment numbers are based on a study of a hundred thousand people conducted every month right. by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Every month, they just go and ask a hundred thousand people, you know, did you work this month or something close to that. And that's where the unemployment numbers come from. Um, we could have a panel like that for this kind of uh, this kind of like disease tracking. And then, as soon as a new disease comes up and, and tests start to get developed for checking it, we just go to that same panel. And, then and we have the equipment already in place. What about the the civil rights a- uh, aspects of this? Can we've well the, the we've already we're in a phase right now in which you and I are seated where we're seated because the governor of California has told us to go home and stay there. You're in the office because you're an essential worker. Thank I got a letter. Did I show you my letter? <laughs> you haven't, I haven't seen that letter, but I'm, if you're not essential, nobody is. Um, but can we do, can you get a rigorous enough permanent regime of testing based on volunteers only? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Oh, you can. Okay. So there's no, like the BLS of the Bureau of Labor Statistics there. They're, you're not, they're not forcing people to answer their questions about, are you working? They're just, they're people who they reach out to them and say, would you be willing to answer these questions? Say, yeah. And then they, then they ask them, I mean, people will say, no, that's fine. I mean, you, you can, you can make statistical adjustments for that, that non-response or the refusal. That's fine. I mean, I think, but there's no reason, that's not a reason to not set up that kind of infrastructure. Got it. All right. A few last questions, Jay. India, we mentioned last week, you still have cousins back in India. Uncles on aunts. April, I'm sorry. Uncles, aunts, you know, you name it. <laughs> the, all kinds of family. On April 14th, that's just a few days ago. Prime Minister Modi announced a strict three-week national lockdown, and here we are, only a couple of days later, and he's already made clear that he intends to extend that three-week lockdown. As I understand it, he hasn't yet said how long the final date will be, but it's going to last longer than three weeks. What implications does your study? have for India? It seems very likely that it, the disease is, is more widespread than people believe everywhere. Uh, I think uh, India is going to start to do these sorts of serologic studies as well. And that, that I think they'll find the same thing as that. I, I, I know, I'm, I'm obviously this is a guess because I don't know the numbers from there, uh, but that's what's happened in Europe. Uh, that's what's happened here. I think that's it's, it's likely to be true in India as well. And the number, and because uh, it meant there are many, many very densely packed cities in India, the spread of the disease is probably more than we than, than faster there than 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 here. Now, of course, there's a lot we don't know about the virus, so that that guess could be wrong. But again, it's just like we did talked about last last month. 
Uh, we won't know until we run the run the numbers there. Um, so, so, Jay, a question that slipped my mind until this moment: What implications do your numbers have for a concept that I barely understand, which is the development of herd immunity? Might we be farther along in developing a kind of broad-based immunity than we supposed earlier, or no? You have to be careful about that. So this study and the, and the antibody tests provide evidence that you had the infection. There's an active debate among immunologists and scientists about the extent to which this, these antibodies confer immunity, right? So some, I mean, we don't know how long they confer immunity. If they do, we don't, we, it may be partial immunity, right? It may protect you, part, part, you know, partly from the infection, but not, not, uh, not completely. So that's, that's, it's a little hard to say anything about herd immunity until that debate starts to get settled. And uh, that, that's not just a conceptual debate. Presumably, there's going to be testing on that question as well. Is that so? Absolutely. In fact, the vaccine development efforts that I'm sure you've heard about have to do with that debate, right? What antibodies actually confer immunity the best? Uh, and, uh, you know, how do you induce those antibodies to form without actually infecting somebody, right? That's what the vaccine is about. Um, so that's not anywhere near resolved yet. I mean, people are still studying that, that particular question. I mean, it's a new, new virus. We've only known about it basically for, I mean, the U.S. for three months. Right. So uh, that, that, uh, it's, so I don't, I'm not, not comfortable talking about herd immunity just because we don't know the extent to which this, Nobody knows what immunity looks like. Yeah, so, but I think um, if, if we were talking about herd immunity, uh, let's, let's, I mean, three, three, 4% of the population is nowhere near that. Okay. All right. Um, your advice for a few officials. If we could, if we could um, sit each of these down in your office and you could give them a sentence or two of advice, what would you have to say to the governor of California? You've just 2 million of people in Santa Clara County. You've just discovered what you've discovered. What would you say to the governor? What does that imply? Um, one, run these studies everywhere and keep running them until the epidemic's done. Right, that seems obvious to me, but uh, I mean, I, and I'm sure that the, the, the and these studies only cost two hundred grand a pop. I mean, maybe I don't know how to do budgets, but I did. I mean, I, yeah, I think so. The, but the point is, by the by, this is a, if we're talking about Governor Newsom, we're talking about a man who has an annual overseas an annual budget of well over a hundred billion dollars a year. There's room in there somewhere to run these studies. I think these are really high value studies because as I said, they're, they're gonna provide information about policy in a way that we, we desperately need. I mean, otherwise we're making policy with, on the basis of no information, no real information uh, or very little real information. Um, this, the, the second thing is redo the models. Like you've seen these models about flattening curve, redo them once we have these studies, take a, very close look at, at the resources of the hospital resources available and ask if I lift the caps, will I be over? Will I really stress the hospital systems or not? We could follow the same structure of the policy we've been following, except now with real numbers. It could be that many, many places around the country, uh, including California, it's safe to lift the caps. So the next step to me is run the studies everywhere, redo the models, and, and take a hard look and ask, is it really worth it? To suppress the economy if I'm not going to stress the, the hospital systems and, and have COVID-19 patients die as a result of it. Jay, do you, who know, you keep, you talk, everybody's talking now about modeling and modeling means doing the most rigorous analysis you can 
and making the most reasonable assumptions, most realistic assumptions you can and projecting into the future. And there's a lot of modeling being done about the coronavirus. I don't see anybody modeling the health effects of what we're doing to the economy. You cannot engage in cost-benefit analysis unless you know the costs. So we know as a general matter that unemployment is associated with depression, alcohol and drug abuse, domestic violence, suicide. We know for fact certain that all kinds of hospitals are under intense pressure now. I just read a statistic the other day, the Mayo Clinic of all places is expecting a $900, billion, $900 million shortfall. Why? Because the procedures that they ordinarily perform have been stopped in favor because nobody will show up. We also know for certain that some number of colon cancers are going to go undetected because people are not getting their colonoscopies, that the pap smears are not taking place, that the PSA tests are not taking place. Who's doing the rigorous weighing of the costs of what we're doing? It just seems to me as though we have this very vivid image of to the nearest dozen, how many deaths might occur under this scenario or that scenario or the other scenario, we've just shut down the economy and thrown 22 million people out of work. Nobody really seems to be modeling the health effects of that. Am, am I wrong about that? You're not wrong, Peter. And it's, uh, it is, it's even broader than you say, right? Because it's not just the United States. Nearly every country on earth has implemented these kinds of, 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 of economic caps. Uh, I mean, it, the, the macroeconomic numbers are incredibly, the global ones, incredibly scary. Uh, I mean, it looks like a, 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 great, a great depression. It looks like on that order. Uh, and the health effects of that and the United States are going to be bad, as you, as you described correctly. Um, but in poor countries and, and in poor people in poor countries, it's going to be absolutely catastrophic. Those lives count for something, and they should count for something, I think, in the calculus. Uh, and uh, they're not counted right now in the calculus. We're just counting COVID deaths. Mm. What would you say to Dr. Fauci? What would your one or two lines of advice be to him? These serum studies everywhere, they're not that expensive. Don't worry about the fact that the tests aren't perfect yet because they're, they're good enough to get numbers that will guide policy right now. And we desperately need to do that so that we can actually do, do, start to do the right thing. It's not, it's not that I should be careful. I don't mean to say that they were doing the wrong thing. I mean to say that we'll now start to have inf enough information so that we can figure out what the right thing is. And for the president, for Donald Trump, if you could give him a sentence or two of advice. I mean, these studies are really, really critical. I to give him the same advice I'd give Dr. Fauci. I think, uh, I think weighing the effects on, of, the, of this shutdown policy or on other on non-COVID deaths should also weigh on, on President Trump's mind as well. So, and I think, I think that's, he must be thinking along those lines if that, that three-phase plan I saw is, is any indication, right? Those, those lives matter too, right? The health and health and well-being of those people matter as well, uh, that are thrown out of work, that, that, that die of depression or, or you know, all, all of those really bad things, those lives count. And so if, uh, separate from Dr. Fauci, if it's President Trump, I say count both those, both the lives of the people that are dying, dying from COVID and the people that are going to be dying from the depressions coming. 
I saw a headline this morning. Last question, Jay. You've got to get back to work. You really do have to get back to work. The nation awaits the results of your next test. Um, I saw a headline this morning on the president's three-part plan. I can't quote it exactly, but it was something like Trump puts onus, Trump puts burden of decision on governors. And so the question is, is this a moment? We live under a constitution that's 240 years old and that gives us a federalist system where the president has some powers, but so does Gavin Newsom and so does Andrew Cuomo. So do the governors. Is this a moment when we should be rejoicing at the structure the founders gave us or thinking, ah, really, we could use more federal control right now? Well, I think every community is going to be different. I mean, uh, the the this is why I'm interested in the baseball numbers, right? So I'm going to... Oh, that's a fantastic thing. 27 different cities. It's spectacular. Teams, yeah. But like, I, th- I mean, I think the key thing there is that the um, uh, it, the communities are going to be different places on the, on the, on the, on the epidemic. Um, different responses will be required. Different things will be optimal in Cincinnati than they will be in Los Angeles. Uh, so, I, I mean, I think starting to understand what the right thing to do locally is, is going to be very, very important. It's not enough just to have a single national number. Uh, this, this, is a, uh, this is a disease that you can see already, right? It hit New York much harder than it hit the rest of the country. New York is further, I mean, 15% of uh, pregnant women giving birth in New York w- were virus positive. Just forget about antibody positive. Wow. Wow. Um, so clearly it's very, very common, much more common there. So the right response in New York is going to be different than the right response in, in, in uh, Dallas. So we just we need, to, we need this kind of intelligence uh, everywhere. This kind of distributed intelligence. In other words, federalism. I mean, you know, that's, you, could, you, could, you could call it that, sure. You're, you're the, I don't know much about political science, Peter. <laughs> Jay, help me to understand yet another aspect of this. We've been told that we need to flatten the curve. Now, I get the impression that when some officials talk about flattening the curve, all they're saying is that, they need, that we need to slow the advance of the virus. And that's all that we can do, just retard the advance. But others seem to be suggesting we need to sl- flatten the curve so that we slow the advance of the virus until we get a vaccine or until warmer weather comes along, until we eradicate this thing, can we eradicate the coronavirus? I don't see how that's possible at this point. Based on the findings we have, it's too widespread. And it's, it's not just, I mean, we picked Santa Clara and we picked LA because there were places that we had connections and we could actually get the study up and running quickly. Those places are not unique in this sense. There's going to be lots of places around the country with this, these kinds of numbers, probably more, New York, certainly more. I don't see how you make disease eradication as a goal. Um, so, but that means, that means, what that means is we have to, we have to think very carefully about how to manage, manage the, the, the disease and the epidemic. It's not going to go away and suppressing the economy forever so that it goes away seems like it's too costly. I mean, it is too costly in lives. Um, so, uh, so the, the question is like, what do, we, what do we do about it? I mean, we're, it's, it's like, we're gonna have to learn to live with it in some sense. Uh, and but it's, 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 a, it's a risk. I mean, if it's a one in a thousand risk of dying from getting it, we could learn to live with it, right? If it's, if it's three in a hundred, maybe not. But it's more well, like a thousand. 
So is the ultimate aim, and now I'm talking about farther out in time, the first thing we begin to reopen, as you've said, and testing needs to take place, fine. But the ultimate aim is to reduce this, to contain it the way we have contained what we think of as the ordinary flu. That is to say, we develop vaccines which are at least largely effective. People understand what to do if they get the symptom. You go to bed, you force fluids, blah, to put it into the category of things that become routine. Is that, is that the correct way to, is that the correct hope? Yeah, that's my hope. And, and also that better treatments can become available. All of that is, is fine. It's just, the question is, do we shut everything down until that happens? Um, I mean, the only reason you would ever, you, you would do, if it was a three in a hundred death rate, you might do that. If it's one in a thousand, and you know there's deaths on the other side of the policy, then you wouldn't do that. So you can escape a swarm of hornets by putting your head underwater. But if the hornets are still there when you take your head out, you have not solved the problem. Yeah. And the hornets will still be there. Yeah, that's Correct? A, yeah, that's, I mean, it's, you lift the cap up, the models say the thing comes back. Could you end on a cheerier note, please? I'm an economist. I always, we're the dismal science for a reason, Peter. <laughs> Jay, you have work to do, but thank you. And before we say goodbye, look right at the little green light on the camera and say hello to your mom. Hi, mom. <laughs> Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, big shot, professor of medicine here at Stanford, but still his mother's son. Thanks, Jay. Back to work now. For, for Uncommon Knowledge, the Hoover Institution, and Fox Nation, I'm Peter Robinson.